today on Ag News Daily. So if you had goat's milk, you could not sell it as milk. Okay. Uh, if you have almond milk, you cannot sell it as milk. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a Friday episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Pearson, and we have no Hannah Pagel. We decided to let her have some fun at the State Fair, didn't we, Mike? Absolutely, absolutely. She's been a fantastic intern for us over the summer, has done great work, and so, you know, she's she's due for a couple days off and being a good big sister, helping her brother, uh, I think, fit a Fit cattle for a dairy show, I believe, is what yeah, she's doing today. I think so. Mm-hmm. Boy, you know, Delaney, you said right off the bat that this is a fry yay. And I don't know if it is a fry yay for anybody in the soybean market today. Or really any of the grain markets. We had the WASDE report come out here at 11 a.m. on Friday morning. It was a pretty bearish report all around, Mike. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see the the corn market going forward. I think there's some possibility you maybe was overreacted to today on the downward side, but boy, soybeans, new crop soybeans, that 1819 crop year, holy cow, the big number that jumped out at me, Delaney, is ending stocks mm-hmm. next fall of 768 million bushels of soybeans. Yeah, I think that they raised ending stocks, I think, more than 205 million bushels. Yes. Yeah, you're yeah. right. 580 in July to 785 yeah. in this month. And basically, they're looking at continued slowdown in exports as this trade war uh, right. drags on. Well, I was talking to our friend Ted Seifert, who works for the Zaner Group, yesterday about the WASDE report. And he said, you know, Delaney, I would not be surprised if we hit a billion bushels of carryover for this year before it's all said and done. Ugh. Yeah. Boy, did he tell you what he thinks beans would be trading at if we hit a billion dollars carryover? I carry didn't out? ask that. That's a good question. Well, I'll tell you what. We've got to give a big shout out to Ted Seifert because Zayner always puts together their list of projected yes. USDA yields. And they had 181 in change for corn. USDA came out at 178.4 bushels per acre. Ted had 51.5 bushels per acre on soybeans. He was the closest of all the analysts uh, uh, sampled for their pre-report guesses. USDA came in at 51.6. So Ted was only a tenth of a bushel off with their soybean model. Yeah, he's usually pretty accurate with a lot of that stuff. I don't get how they do it, but it's impressive. Magic, Delaney. <laughs> oh, is that how Mike? That's that's how they do it. They've oh, okay. got a wizard locked up in a closet. <laughs> oh, a wizard, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is science, Delaney. I know this stuff. <laughs> okay, perfect. Oh, great. Yeah. So those are the two big things I think: the soybean carryover, and then the increased yields in corn and soybeans, which is not particularly uh, bullish when we look at you know global situations. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not. We're still looking at, at folks seeing decent weather, uh, growing season weather throughout the U.S. The Really, the big shock to me as far as per state yields on the corn side was Missouri. Mm. USDA brought their state average yield per acre down by 39 bushels oh, wow. because of that ongoing drought they're seeing in central and northern Missouri. Yeah, absolutely. And those are definitely... Uh Definitely reverberated in the markets today, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Mike, what other news was jumping out at you today? Well, I'll tell you what. I am a person who collects 
stuff, right? My, I've got okay. a lot of equipment. I've got a lot of stuff that is broken and doesn't work. And Delaney, you and I have talked. When something comes into my possession, I'm typically the last stop on the way to the scrapyard. Yeah, know? no surprise. Yeah, well, so for folks like me, there was more bad news yet today. Scrap prices are going to be taking a hit because China has put a 25% tariff on copper and steel scrap that is imported. And the U.S. is the second largest uh, exporter of scrap to China, just under Hong Kong. And all of these scrap dealers who ship North American scrap to China, they're currently stopping loading their boats or they're trying to find new destinations for the ships that are already loaded because those tariffs, you know, go into effect on August 23rd. August 23rd is right, Mike. That's going to be interesting to see how that, again, affects some of our, you know, manufacturing industries. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just tough because I've got a whole wagon full of scrap metal. i got to get hauled to the scrapyard before this thing takes a hit. Yeah, you better get on that. You've only got 13 days. Absolutely, which, you know, mm. that's maybe not enough time for somebody like me who's uh, no, it's a bit of a not. ditherer. Yeah, you kind of are a ditherer. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you got for news oh, for us, geez. Let's see. Well, we've had a couple rounds of bilateral trade talks or trilateral trade talks in some instances. Uh, yesterday and today, the trade minister for Japan and our trade representative, Robert Lighthizer, are meeting in Washington to, to discuss bilateral trade agreements. However, it seems like Japanese, the Japan trade official is not budging and still really wants to emphasize that Japan is not interested in bilateral trade agreements. They really like multilateral trade agreements, but they're at least coming to the table to have discussions. The other people that are uh, having discussions are the uh, Mexican and U.S. trade representatives, and they will be meeting again next week as part of continued NAFTA negotiations. I thought this was very interesting, though. Uh, Mexican trade officials have made it known or made it public that they want to get this done before December 1st, signed, done, checkmark, whatever you want to say, before December 1st, because that's when their current president, Enrique Peña Nieto, will leave office, and they'd like to get it done before president-elect gets into office. Oh, interesting. Yep. And, you know, that's I wonder why that is. We've heard AMLO repeatedly uh, say that he is on board with yeah. refining NAFTA and he getting is. a trade yep. deal in place. So I he, wonder what uh, the rush is. Well, he just said that what I don't know if he said this directly or one of the other. I think maybe it was a team member said that no new administration wants to take on a major trade deal renegotiation in its first months of office. Gotcha. So it's more of a. CYA measure than a he doesn't want to CYA, sign it, oh it. yes CYA measure yes cover your yes behind. thank you yes it's just let's avoid having him deal with this if possible that's what they're right. saying yep absolutely gotcha and we also had reports from that same meeting that Canada is still kind of to use a word for the second time in this podcast dithering about getting back into the trade discussion with Mexico and the U.S. yes dithering is a good way to put it Mike. Yeah, they said they, they're coming or they're expected to be in Washington next week, but no dates have been posted, I guess, from what yeah, I understand. It sounds as though Canada's not going to come back until Mexico and the U.S. have a bilateral agreement. 
Yeah, I don't get and what the so reasoning is for that, but I don't either. But you know, part of the thing that's holding up Mexican US negotiations continues to be the percentage of auto industry components to be made in North America. That's one of the big big sticking points and this has been a sticking point since I mean, during the election when President Trump was running for office. So mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to actually get accomplished. I'm getting kind of worried. Uh, yeah, you know, I guess I am. I don't know. That's still December 1st is still a little ways away. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have plenty of time. It's uh, still August. Yeah, we're good. It is August. And Delaney, we have seen an incredible outbreak of wildfires in the state mm-hmm. of California. And I know you've been following that. Yeah. It's nuts. It's very nuts. The Mendocino Complex fire and huge amounts of damage. Um, but there has been a lot of pressure on the Trump administration to do something about these wildfires. And Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke wrote an op-ed today in uh, USA Today. And he said that active forest management, which is getting in there and clearing out the underbrush, prescribed burns, uh, logging, is has basically been pushed out of favor on federal land because of, he called them, uh, radical environmentalists. And he says, because we're not able to do that, because of these radical environmentalists, we're seeing the risk of fire accelerate, and these fires are burning hotter, and they're more dangerous. And I just thought that was hmm. interesting, because that's a complaint I have heard from several of our ranching friends who graze and ranch on federal land throughout the West. They're just seeing less management of these, you know, federally owned uh, timber tracts. Because there's not enough government money to allocate to managing them? No, just because the, it seems as though the priority shifted perhaps during the Obama administration that these forests are national treasures. We can't have people in there mm-hmm. cutting them down. We can't have oh. logging. We just need to let them be natural. Well, but yeah, that but that helps that protect, that, I mean, the environmental benefits of doing all those things are, I think pretty high. I think so, too. You know, I mean, you clear out that understuff, and that keeps the fire risk down. The right. fires don't burn nearly as hot, and, you know, perhaps it's good it for the forest in the, the long run. Yeah, it allows the healthy trees to thrive. Yeah, and so that's what Ryan Zinke was talking about. I haven't seen mm-hmm. a rebuttal, but I'm sure a rebuttal to his op-ed will be coming. Oh, I'm sure. And uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for it. Okay, interesting. Well, the only other piece of news I had for today was about an expanding market when we look at the agronomic industry. Syngenta is has made a statement saying that they are going to be exploring new markets this year, including Bangladesh. So it doesn't seem like a really big market when you consider other markets worldwide, but their CEO, Eric Freiwald, has said that they would like to expand into Syngenta. They've been there for the past three days, or just got back from a three-day trip in Bangladesh, and he said that Syngenta will make more investments in Bangladesh, and an announcement will be coming sometime soon in the next year as they expand into that new market. And this is, you said Syngenta? Yes. Well, and, you know, now that they're uh, owned by ChemChina, that makes yep. sense. Bangladesh is right in their backyard. Uh, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about it that way. Well, you know, we're speaking of right in the backyard. We're going to be having a conversation today for our Friday interview with R.J. Lehman about milk labeling. And Delaney, we had that call this morning, and I learned a lot, didn't you? Yeah, it was really interesting. A big issue, but also a big issue, of course, 
is the market on a day like yeah. today. Delaney, should we go ahead and rip off this Band-Aid? Yep, you better do it, Mike. All right, folks, a reminder that our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. We've talked about Ted Seifert quite a bit. If you want to get his thoughts on the market and how you can apply it to your operation, give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit their website at zaner.com. And we did close lower in the grains. Looking at the corn market, the September contract was down 11 and a half cents at 357 and three quarters. December down 11 to finish at 371 and three quarters. In soybeans, this is where we bore the brunt of the downward move today. The August contract dropped 41 and three quarters cents to close at 846 even. November new crop down 42 and a quarter cents to close at 861 and three quarters. Wheat was not spared with the September Chicago wheat contract down 17 and three quarters at 546 and three quarters. December down 17, closed at 569 and a half. In the cattle complex, August unchanged on the day at 108.25. The October up 20 cents to finish at 109.25. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 55 cents at 149.90. September also up 50 to close at 149.52.50. And in lean hogs, the August contract was down 17.5 cents at 54.80, with the October down 22.5 to close at 51.17.5. Quick look over at the dairy market. The August Class 3 milk contract up a nickel at 15.04. The September up 6 cents to close at 16.05. Before we have our conversation with R.J. Lehman about milk labeling, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. Well, joining me now is agronomy specialist Phil Long from Latham High Tech Seeds. And Phil, thank goodness we have you because Mike and I are no agronomists. And we've heard from a lot of producers, and you've heard from a lot of producers, about a problem going on right now called frog eye leaf spot disease. Fill us in, Phil. What is that disease, and what does it do to soybeans? Sure. So it's a, it's a fungal disease. It's uh, something that we may not hear about quite as often, but, you know, given the conditions we've had, these nice, uh, humid, rainy conditions we seem to keep getting, uh, fortunately, I should say, but uh, tends to favor this kind of disease uh, showing up in the, in the soybean canopy. And the problem with it is it shows up in the top part of the canopy or the upper canopy on the new leaves, which is the ones you want to protect, you know, usually. And uh, that's where it starts to show up as a circular lesion. It's, it's a round little circle, and it has a really dark purple uh, halo around the outside. So pretty pretty characteristic of that particular disease, but it, it can affect the leaves, stems, and even spread into the seeds as well. So it's something that you want to keep your eye on because it can cause a fair share of damage and only 30% infection on a leaf can, can cause yield loss. Phil, I think you know what my next question is going to be. Is there anything you can do to prevent or treat frog eye when you get it in your field? Yeah, so the best thing to do is, number one, know what it is. You know, that's what I always try to try to encourage people, know what you're diagnosing. But then, you know, it's, it's one that's spread by residue. So, you know, uh, no-till situations typically find it uh, worse in those cases or continuous soybean fields. If there are many of those out there, that's uh, something to maybe shy away from for a year or two, not not trying that practice. Um, but just, uh, you know, protecting it all the way up to the really the green bean stage. So R3 is a good time to treat if you're going to use a, a strobilurin-type fungicide on that disease, um, but just keeping it protected until those those seeds are to that, that full seed stage. All right, and any one of the agronomists there at Latham High Tech Seeds, I'm sure will be willing to help folks out if you have questions about your field, and you can reach them at 1-800-GO-LATHAM. 
Well, folks, for this Friday episode, we're heading back to a topic we brought up last week, the enforcement of FDA's definition of the word milk. To help us understand this a little bit more, we're talking to R.J. Lehman. He's the director of finance, insurance, and trade policy at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C. And, R.J., thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. Now, I want to get us started on the right foot. I started talking to you on Twitter. You corrected some of my misconceptions about this new enforcement policy. Can you just give us the the ground rules? What are we dealing with here with this FDA definition? Sure. We don't know that there is a new policy yet, but we have a good sense that there may be in the near future um, this kind of most recently, what's brought this into the conversation is uh, the FDA chairman, Scott Gottlieb, back in the middle of July uh, at a, uh, a summit that was uh, sponsored by Politico, indicated that he uh, wanted to move forward with uh, a more stringent application of the dairy identity standards. Um, he, he said famously that almonds do not lactate. Uh, so we have a good sense of how he feels about the subject. Um, and then a couple of weeks after that, the FDA had their uh, what they call the multi-year nutrition innovation strategy public public meeting. Uh, so that was at the end of July, in which they formally announced uh, over the next couple of years they're going to be reviewing all the federal food standards. There's 97 of them. Uh, that includes dairy. Dairy is likely to be at the forefront since it's a, a, a topic that he clearly has a has a specific interest in. So over the next year, we would expect the FDA to come forward with either a new interpretation of the rules or new uh, a, a new new ideas about how they will apply them. So the definitions of dairy products uh, are contained in two places in the federal code. Um, in Part 131 of uh, Title 21, Chapter 1, you have Section 131 deals with milk and cream. That also covers yogurt. And Section uh, 133 covers cheese, technically cheeses. Um, there isn't a single definition of cheese, but there's a couple dozen kinds of cheese that are specifically defined. And milk is defined as the lacteal uh, secretion, practically free from colostrum, uh, obtained by the complete milking of one or more healthy cows. The colostrum is, uh, your listeners likely know this, the first milk that a, a cow gives just after birth, contains mother's antibodies, so you, you don't have that in commercial milk. Um, and it is, it has historically been applied that this, this uh, term, this definition, is milk, just milk, not not any uh, other adjective uh, modifying the word milk. So if you had goat's milk, you could not sell it as milk. Okay. Uh, if you have almond milk, you cannot sell it as milk. But if you have milk, it has to be dairy. So under that definition, RJ, people theoretically should not be able to label goat's milk as milk or almond milk as milk, if I'm understanding you correctly. Mm-hmm. So why is it that they have been allowed to do it up until this point? What I mean, what's oh, well, caused see, this now? The, 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 different, the distinction here is key. They don't sell goat's milk as milk. They sell goat's milk as goat's milk. They sell almond okay. milk as almond milk. So putting that word um, in front of the word milk allows them to market it that way. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. That that has historically been the way it is. To under, to to make clear the how long this sort of precedent has been in existence, I, I only have to tell you two words: peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know what, okay. <laughs> huh. We know what peanut butter is. No one is confused that peanut butter is butter. Um, it, technically, butter is not actually defined in, in the FDA standards. Huh. Uh, the cheese, cheese, milk, uh, yogurt, cottage cheese, cream cheese, etc. are. Uh, cream, the cheeses get uh, complicated because if you, since it is a long list of cheeses they define, but it is not an exhaustive list. So, like, you do find, for instance, Roquefort, which is a sheep's cheese. You don't find any goat's milk cheeses. Um, so there's no labna, there's no feta. Um, but so that means if you don't, if you're not selling something that's on the defined list, a different kind of cheese that's not on the defined list, there aren't any rules about what that must include. There might be uh, uh, trade standards, you know, like if you're sure. if you're part of a collective, et cetera, that, that would define it. But it's not on the FDA list. Hmm. So RJ, bringing it back to this new FDA enforcement. I guess, yep. what do you perceive as changing? I mean, what it uh, sounds right. like this I mean, is they've I, already worked this out. So it is clear that Scott Gottlieb does not agree with my, how I'm characterizing this. Uh, Scott Gottlieb believes that just using the word milk is enough uh, for that to be the market name. Uh, it doesn't matter if you redefine it. He has not specifically announced that they will begin of enforcing that rule that in in that way that is something we expect to come in the next few months um and he has said that they would not uh, although he does see this as an enforcement issue they would not simply begin enforcing it without uh without significant input since it hasn't been enforced they don't want to uh disturb the markets in any significant way um and so we'll expect there's going to be a lot of public comments and hearings and and so forth, before anything actually changes in the market. RJ, how would they go about enforcing something like that? Just slapping <laughs> a fine? I mean, realistically, gonna, what are they going to yeah, do? Lock up soy milk producers? Yeah, I mean. You, you could, you could, uh, yeah, you could, you could, there are, there are statutory penalties for, for violation and theoretically even criminal ones, uh, if you get beyond, uh, a certain point of, uh, uh, you know, if there were, some form of if they got a cease and desist uh, order and the company continued to try to sell soy milk, calling it milk, uh, then yeah, they they could theoretically face criminal penalties. But that's speculative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not at that point yet. Um, right now, it is a suggestion that's going to be taken up in the next couple of months, probably uh, first through a, the formal rulemaking process. Yeah. Do you think with the with the public commenting period that they're probably going to allow, do you think consumers have any concerns? I mean, are consumer yeah. do they understand the differences between milk that comes from a cow and milk that comes from an almond? Do you think consumers as a whole understand that? My opinion is that, and it is my opinion, Absolutely. I don't polling on this, is that there are not very many people who buy almond milk thinking that it comes from a cow. Okay, um, good. <laughs> they, are buying, they are buying almond milk because it doesn't come from a cow, because maybe they're vegan, maybe they have dairy allergies, uh, or they just prefer almond milk for whatever reason. But uh, I don't think there is a credible case can be made that, the, that consumers generally are confused about these terms. 
Now, the flip side of that uh, very same question is a lot of our listeners are in the dairy industry, and mm-hmm. they don't like the fact that this soy juice, nut juice, as I like to call it, <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is using the, the term milk for marketing purposes. Their, their argument is this is causing consumers to conflate the nutrition profiles mm. of soy milk with real milk, and you know maybe mm-hmm. there's some uh, inaccuracy or some dishonesty in that. Mm. Well, if they did con- conflate those, then... You would think in most cases it, the, it goes the other way around. It redounds to milk's benefit, right? Because, right. Uh, you know, like if you uh, if you look at the nutritional profile, um, so dairy and almond milk have about the same amount of vitamin A. Soy milk has more. Dairy and soy milk have about the same amount of calcium. Almond milk has more. Dairy and soy milk have about the same amount of protein. Almond milk has less. And then you look at the other side of the nutritional ledger, sugar, fat, calories, Dairy milk has way more. Yeah. So, so uh, if that's the if that's the case, then people who know the nutritional profile of say almond milk and buy dairy milk thinking it's the same are are the ones who are actually getting confused because hmm. they're in most respects dairy milk. Is right. Worse. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think I I think I did know that actually because I yeah. have friends and family that buy almond milk and I'm like, why are you buying that? Isn't that Less healthy than yeah, but there's a lot of milk in, or a lot of sugar in real milk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, fat obviously you can buy skim milk and then that that part is about comparable. You know, neither soy nor almond milk have very much right. fat. RJ, I wanted to ask too while we have you on the line. Do you follow the geographical mm-hmm. indicators also um, pertaining to the dairy industry, like the gorgonzola cheese or the Parmesan cheese? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are. Uh, the specifics of uh, of where they come from are sometimes mm-hmm. included in the FDA regulations, although not not in quite the same way that, say, like champagne is for, mm-hmm. for French mm-hmm. uh, exporters. Um, I don't I don't remember specifically which ones. Uh, my Parmesan, I know for sure, does not have to be from Parma. Um, can you? It, 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 yeah. Can you shed any light for us on? So with with trade going on, trade deals going on between Mexico yep. and the EU and Japan and the EU and mm-hmm. some of our other trading partners, they're really trying to push, the EU is really trying to push those partners to get us yeah. to make concessions and not label cheeses as Parmesan cheese or whatever uh, because they're not yep. located from there. How yep. would they go about enforcing that or, or how would we go about remarketing something like that? What would you call it Parmesan-like cheese? Right. <laughs> that, that's a good question. I, I don't think we are, uh, you know, getting a, a new EU trade deal, the, the TTIP, uh, as it was called, mm-hmm. is something that's kind of far off in the distance. It's certainly not. Uh, this administration is less open to that sort of thing than the previous administration. Uh, and even in the previous administration, it was kind of a uh, long shot to get it through Congress. Um, but if you were to enforce it, it would be through uh, the USDA. Uh, I mean, they would have Congress would have to pass a trade agreement, and the USDA ultimately would be the enforcement agency, probably uh, for that. The FDA might have uh, some say in in redefining its its standards, but the USDA would probably be the agency that would actually enforce it on the front end. Lot to think about here, RJ. You know, as we hear these things, rules and regulations are changing. We've got a whole different team in DC. When you look mm-hmm. out long term, 
Um, Do you feel as though, particularly on the food side, we're moving in a a good direction policy-wise? Are we making things easier for consumers to understand or muddying the waters? Um, So I think there is – the the overall project that that Scott Gottlieb is involved in, I think, is a good one. You know, I disagree on on this particular uh, case, but – uh, it is probably time to revisit some of those um, uh, food identity standards and ensure that people are getting good and clear information. Um, and, and in general, we're pretty uh, sympathetic to how he has gone about um, his job, for instance, in a uh, completely separate from something your, inter- your readers or listeners are interested in, but in the area of vaping and, and tobacco harm reduction, uh, we think he's, he's done some great work um, and, and are very interested in seeing what the FDA comes forward with in uh, redefining the other federal food standards. All right. Well, RJ, if our listeners want to hear more of your thoughts or read some of your writings, where's the best place for yeah. them to go? Uh, go to rstreet.org. Uh, that's the, the website of the R Street Institute. We are a Washington, D.C.-based think tank, uh, although we have uh, staff who are all around the country and some in foreign countries as well. I myself live in Florida. Fantastic. Well, R.J. Lehman, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and for shedding a little bit of light on this kind of confusing issue. (laughs) Thank you. Well, Mike, that certainly was an interesting and insightful conversation with R.J. I definitely learned a lot. Yeah, so many different facets to this thing, and the whole concept that milk as a standalone word has always just been dairy, uh, has always just been cows, I I guess makes sense. Yeah. I I don't know what they're going to be changing. No, I know. Right. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize the, the nomenclature before, or I guess the current nomenclature, you just have to put something in front of the word milk. Yeah. Like goat milk or almond milk or whatever. Yeah, coconut, etc. Right. And it, you seem to be fine. Yeah, but, but it, just doesn't, gonna... yeah, it, just, it doesn't address, address the issue that specifically, I guess, with nut milks or soy milk is, is it's not a milk product. It's not anything to do with dairy. But then again, neither is goat milk, I guess. Right. Um, It at least comes from an animal. Right. I don't know if that's where they're going to draw the line. It. We're going to have to wait and see how uh, uh, Administrator Gottlieb decides to roll this product project out. Yeah, it is going to be interesting. It will. And speaking of rolling out stuff, tomorrow, Delaney, you and I will be rolling out into the pavilion at the Iowa State <laughs> Fair, showing in the Iowa Cattlemen's Governor's Charity Steer Show. And uh, where should folks go if they want to follow along tomorrow? Oh, absolutely. We're going to be doing some great stuff on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us at Ag News Daily. Our summer intern, Hannah Pagel, is going to be, uh, I guess, hosting the event tomorrow for us on our Facebook and Twitter lives. We've gotten some requests. People want to ask us questions, Mike, about, I guess, our steers. I don't know. Perfect. But you can you can tune in with us tomorrow. We'll probably be doing that around 3.30 Central Standard Time on Saturday afternoon. So you definitely want to tune in for that. But if you are wanting to catch up on Ag News Daily Podcasts over the weekend, I just got off of a conversation this morning with a guy who said he just found out about our podcast. You can always head to agnewsdaily.com and listen to any of our past episodes there. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 